0: Welcome back to Getting Closer to Your Core. I'm Dr. Debbie Maggots, a New York-based psychologist. And for those who haven't listened yet, I am doing this podcast because I really believe that our power and agency lies within the unconscious, within the parts of ourselves that we aren't always aware of that is fully in charge of our lives and we mostly don't know it. And I am talking about all sorts of topics from career to friendship, to love, to parenting. And today it's gonna be, really about someone's personal journey and what led them to their career. And I want to welcome Abra Papa to my podcast. So welcome, Abra. Thanks, Um, Debbie. Abra is a licensed dietitian and nutritionist. She is the author of a highly trafficked hit food blog called Abra's Kitchen, and she's the creator of the Nourishing Nutrition Method, and I will say, I know Abra personally, and we've had many, many conversations and her story is really um, a meaningful one. And also for anyone who's listening, if you've ever tasted Abra's food, you will go <laughs> right to Abra's kitchen. I am not a cook, but I am an eater. And uh, <laughs> and it was the best food I've ever had, which she knows. Um, so Abra, I know, and I think it's important for anyone who's listening to try to understand, like you, you were drawn to your career for very personal reasons, and you were trying to shift your own unhealthy relationship to food. What I also know is that you think that you can be well and fit at any size. You believe in intuitive eating. You believe in healthy eating, but joyful eating, not sort of going on a diet where you don't get to eat anything you like and just live joy less in terms of food yeah. because food is so much about nourishing us and joy in the world. So I would love you to share the parts of your story that you're willing to share and that you think is meaningful in terms of what you healed and what brought you to this profession that you're so talented at.
1: Thank so you. I'm going to give you the money. Yes. Yes. So I'll try to give you the short version. (laughs) The short version is I I moved to New York City in my 20s to pursue a career in musical theater, um, something I was super passionate about we both are, as a matter yes. of fact. Yes, we well, on Broadway, we're <laughs> passionate.
0: I'm a watcher; she's a singer. Maybe we'll get it to sing <laughs> sing a little before yes. we end this podcast.
1: Super talented. Anyway, go ahead. So, I spent my twenties basically auditioning and working in restaurants, and working as a bartender and a waitress, and working really, really long hours, and spending my days being told very frequently that my body was wrong and that my talent was there. But my body wasn't, and doing all that I could to shrink that to fit a mold that I would never fit into. And part of my journey toward nutrition was because I knew that something had to shift in my own life. So, from a career perspective, I never thought I would leave musical theater. I just knew that I needed to better understand how to take care of myself. I was very, I've always been very healthy. I have hippy-dippy parents. My mom introduced us to like incredible concepts of nourishment and food from the time that I was very, very little. But through my twenties, it all became so muddled and disordered, really, really disordered and confusing. And so that's what brought me to nutrition was that I knew I needed to figure something out for myself. And what ended up happening was I, left musical theater because I was so fulfilled. I mean, also because I was not getting gigs. I want to be really clear and honest here. It's not like I was starring on Broadway, right? (laughs) I was auditioning and I was not getting gigs. Um, (laughs) But I was feeling so incredibly supported and fulfilled by nutrition work and by that deeper understanding of how food impacts our life as a whole, how one's vision of themselves in their body impacts how they show up in the world. And so that sort of started my career path. And Mm -hmm. of course, I dug deeper and deeper and deeper through the years and years of work that I've done in the people that I've worked with, um, through the years, but that's, that's a sort of short version of what brought me here. That's a great short version.
0: And now I'm going to ask questions to open up the version. Um, Okay. so, so you mentioned that in, you had sort of a confused, disordered view of food and it got all confused for you. Can you, first of all, be a little more specific so we can understand what that means?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I think part of it, you know, when I really look back now with the knowledge that I have now around disordered eating and look at my, you know, my relationship to food in my 20s, a big part of it was that I lost all ability to understand how to care for myself. And so what that looked like was I would work these crazy shifts at the restaurant, right? 12, 14 hour shifts, no breaks, no breaks barely eating anything, and then I would be starving in all ways, not just for food, (laughs) in all ways, starving for Mm -hmm. comfort, starving for everything, and I would try to fill that gap with food. So a lot of binge eating started in my 20s, and I think more than anything else, again, looking through the lens of a clinician now, more than anything else, what really took hold was this shame, this incredible shame around eating, around what my body looks like, how I was, my body was changing because of the binge eating and then and the inability. It was like not eating for 14 hours and then eating the equivalent of two days worth of food in mm-hmm. two hours at 11 o'clock at night. Right. Mm-hmm. And then starving myself the next day and then going to the gym and seeing if I could correct that. But this very, very disordered relationship and then feeling like, well, if I just... Now go on a diet, everything will be okay. Let me just go on a diet and restrict all of these things and get back down to the size that will help me get the gigs or the auditions that I need to get. Mm -hmm. And the cycle just continued and continued. I always tell this one story because I think it's really relevant of how the shame took hold. This was back in the day before we could order food online, like before Seamless existed, right? Or Uber Eats, you had to actually pick up a phone and call a restaurant and order food. I was in New York City, right? So I would pick up the phone and call and order food. But I was so ashamed of what I was eating, even if it was healthy stuff, Mm -hmm. that I would pretend like somebody else was in the apartment with me. So Mm -hmm. I would say like, hey, Julie, Do you want those fries? Yes. Yeah, we'll have fries with that too. And like that is, it always sticks with me as this moment of I just couldn't exist in my skin. Like I couldn't, I couldn't even order food from a stranger. Yes. (laughs) Right. Without feeling this incredible amount of shame around it.
0: You know, I, I your story is so incredibly important because the amount of people out there that I've worked with, that you've worked with, that exist, that, you know, are just listening, there is so much involved in the relationship. And, and Abra said it so lovely. Um it wasn't just hungry for food. It was hungry for comfort. It was hungry mm-hmm. for love. It was it was some emptiness that again, starts young that we don't necessarily know yeah. is there and it plays itself out in food or disordered eating. And, you know, so many are plagued with this cycle. And then the other piece that I think is so important when Abra talks about the shame, because the shame of it is what keeps people stuck in it. It keeps yeah. people unable to ask for the help that they need. right? Mm-hmm. And, and you experience it firsthand. So, I mean, I have so many questions, but let me just start with, for you, with the shame and with knowing that this was playing out, did you seek help or it really, you sought it on your own by shifting careers?
1: Oh, no, no. I went to therapy. Okay. <laughs> well, no. now, now we're talking, this is
0: getting closer <laughs> yeah. to our core. Yes. Um. So what did you learn in therapy? So, you know, The whole theme is what did you learn that was happening underneath that was playing itself out? Anything that you feel comfortable sharing that was like really close to your core that was playing itself out. Um, Just as a reminder, I always work on this iceberg level and there's the tip and the core is the childhood and in the middle are things like it's between the subconscious and the conscious. So like Abra said, I knew I was feeling shame. That is something we'd be aware of. We just may not understand what's fueling the shame or where it came from. And so that it, that's the point I'm trying to help people get to.
1: So whatever you can share, I would really be grateful. That's such a good question and I'm not sure I'm terribly clear with you know a, a sort of a clear answer as to what was the the core of the shame. But okay. so much first of all, let me just say that therapy was without a doubt the most important, Um, five years of my life and I would go back now and I should go back now and we should all be in therapy. It was so transformative in so many ways. And I think one of the big things that we worked on was this idea that I'm still working on to this day because it's not like it goes away. Right. Mm -hmm. Was really understanding self-worth and being able to stand in my power of who I was as a human Mm -hmm. and not looking for you know it was interesting I, I i entered into a career where i needed so much external you know um what's the word i'm looking fill, for filling, Ex- fill, validation fill, validation yes. and validation. filling yourself up you're talking about the group exactly. of, the, of- Theater. Acting, yeah, theater and of acting, like, and, uh, and, and I always said, like, I'm the, pro- I'm okay with rejection. I'm okay, and I am. I I'm actually more comfortable sometimes with the no than with the yes. yes. But there was so much external validation that was needed on a continuous basis to be like, do I keep doing this? Do I keep doing this? Do I keep doing this? And so it was that idea of self-worth of like, who are you without any of that? Who Mm -hmm. are you without validation from a man, without Mm -hmm. validation from a casting director, without Mm -hmm. validation from a friend, who are you and what does that look like? Mm-hmm. And that, you know, the work I did in therapy was pivotal also in, in how I was able to shift my career. I was in the very early stages of going back to school and, you know, knowing that something had to change there. And I would not be where I am today if I wasn't able to work some of those things out. then.
0: Okay. And so how do you, let me just pivot to your career for a moment. Yeah. Um, and For anyone interested, you should go to abrapapa.com. First of all, it's the most beautiful website I've ever seen. Thank you. Yeah, I told Abra, I look at it and I feel very inadequate when I look at my own website because it is so beautifully done. But Abra does have this talent of bringing, I mean, her, her personal story, her, um, Intimate knowledge of what it feels like to have a disordered eating pattern where you really have to find a healthy relationship with food before you can actually find wellness. And mm-hmm. um, and she's done a great job at that. You know, I, I personally know that Abra also exercises a lot, and that's a very mm-hmm. important part of her well-being. Um, what if you were to think of something from an emotional perspective twofold that was easy for you in terms of this Mm. profession? And on the other side, what was the most difficult thing of going into this profession that you had to sort of overcome or are continuously overcoming? And you, again, eloquently said it, like our issues don't go away, they go to sleep. And so even if we think they're gone, all of a sudden there they are again. So (laughs) there are certain things in us that we have to constantly monitor Mm -hmm. for the rest of our lives. So the questions are yours.
1: I think something that's always come very easy to me is um, being able to make other people feel comfortable, mm-hmm. which is actually really important in my career, right? Being able to hold space for somebody else's shame, for somebody else's, you know, discomfort. I, I'm really good at that. I'm really, mm-hmm. really good at that. Um, I'm really good at being able to forge relationships, deep relationships with my clients. Most of my clients I have For years and years and years and years. And I just love that. Like that's a testament to, you know, I I love working with them. I love Mm -hmm. staying in their lives in that capacity. I know you (laughs) understand that piece of it. Well, it's also a
0: a testament to a gift that you have of of really connecting deeply in.
1: Yeah. So that Mm -hmm. that's always felt kind of easy to me. And I think about that through my life career, right? Like the charisma piece has has just always come easy to me. I've yes. always just been able to feel comfortable in any situation. I was a bartender for many years, right? I can stand in front of a group of people and speak. I love doing public speaking because that feels comfortable. I, I really know how to bring people in and like mm-hmm. make an impact in that way. And then I think in a very authentic way. I Great. feel like I'm like mm-hmm. to tooting my own horn for a second. Um, well, yeah, that's, that's good the- for someone who suffered from low self-worth. I know. <laughs> found some the- worth, which is amazing. To qualify, to qualify yes. yes. So I, I feel I feel really good there. Good. The next piece is such an interesting question, and I feel like I could go on for three hours about the next piece like things that have felt hard and i think if we sort of zoom the lens back rather than thinking about my career as a nutritionist or working in the nutrition field i think about my career as an entrepreneur Mm -hmm. and building businesses and what has that looked like and i think one of the hardest things for me is around money around money finances not feeling worthy in that space Feel, feeling shame in that space, like what comes up for me around money has been very challenging. Continues to be challenging. Something I have to push myself to like yeah. show up for in a big way. You know, stand in that scary space of asking for more. I think that that then sort of you know whittles down sometimes too to even feeling like I want to feel more respected in some ways in yes. in a career capacity. Right? Yes. Like, am I maybe too nice you know there's on yes. um, shark tank one of the sharks says don't mistake my kindness for weakness yes. that like really resonates with me yes <laughs> you uh, know that's really interesting. you know like can I come across as somebody that's a little bit stronger a little d- demands a little bit more respect I think mm-hmm. those are areas that I really want to just keep working on and mm-hmm. shed some light and, and deeper understanding so um And you don't have to answer this, but it can't can't help but it occurs to me. So,
0: this theme of self worth, it seems as if it's not worked through fully. It has shifted spots. Um, Like, it's not, right? It's not showing up in the fact that you now really stand in your space of wellness. You stand in your space of, you know, you're great at what you do. You stand in your space of being an entrepreneur. And, and I could, actually really confirm all of this. Like Abra has started and has continued many businesses and she's great at all of them, you know? And so (laughs) it's really opening up that self-worth space and digging a little deeper, I think, to understand where where it roots from and why is it now playing out over here? Yeah, And I will say, whatever you did to heal it in the other places is the same thing you need to do to heal it here, (laughs) right?
1: And, yeah,
0: right? And um
1: more therapy.
0: Well, <laughs> it may not even be more therapy. You know, from what I'm getting from your story, yeah. it means taking action and sort of living through what that feels like because it sounds like you took action on um auditions and then you took action on school and you took action on a new career and you took action on opening yeah. up businesses. For you it seems like action is the key. Um and I really appreciate the open and an honest answer because you're, again, you're not alone. Like our themes just show up everywhere in our lives. Like we think we have all these issues and I say this probably on a daily basis, like good news, bad news, bad news is there's some shit to work on here. The good news (laughs) is it's only one or two themes that's everywhere in your life. And as you clear up the themes, they'll start clearing up one Mm -hmm. by one. So that's a really um, great insight. Thank you, Abra. Yeah. Um, oh, that's interesting. So, for your clientele, is there any type of clientele that's more challenging for you than others, or or are you drawn to certain? Are you drawn to people with disordered eating because that's what is the most purposeful for you, most meaningful that you really want to help? Like, how does that work in terms of your practice?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think I am for sure. I think that's a population that I feel very connected to. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, and of course, disordered eating is a very wide spectrum, right? Yes. It's it's not just one archetype. It's many archetypes yes. on that spectrum. And I, I do feel drawn to that in all ways. I definitely work really well with um, women that are <laughs> that we're on a similar journey. I think that happens with all of us that are conscious yes. in some way, but really trying to, to find ways to feel more comfortable in their bodies to live in the world in a way that feels more comfortable Mm -hmm. without always, without having to fit into a certain mold, right? There are just people that will never be size twos and fours. And that's the, that's the world we live in, Mm -hmm. you know, in spite of what society tells us that that's the only way to be well, it's just not true. So I, I definitely feel drawn to drawn to that. But I think as as an overarching theme, because I also work with people that have deeper clinical nutrition concerns, right? So and that don't have disordered eating on the table. But I think the overall theme is being able to navigate any type of nutritional shift or change or, um, you know, protocol, if you will, with a sensibility of self-care nourishment and, and kindness, (laughs) kindness to ourselves. And that that's the type of person I like to work with somebody that can really go there. I think I have a much harder time with people that are very rigid Mm -hmm. in their thinking around food and very, and not interested in pleasure around food. I think that's really challenging for me because that's Mm -hmm. something that I, you know, wholeheartedly feel and believe in. Um, but the way life works, I think as, as an entrepreneur, as, as a clinician is that you do tend to energetically attract to the people that work well with you. Agreed. Right? And otherwise yeah. they, they filter themselves out anyway. Exactly. Yeah. They don't exactly. stand. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I'm very confident to be able to say to people, I don't think I'm the best fit for you, but I yes. always have somebody that I think will be, you know, yes. I can pass you on to somebody else. Yes. Yeah. Cause otherwise it's just
0: too much of a painful, uh, trying to fit exactly. a square into a round hole. Um, Something Ava said that's super important. There's there's not one archetype of eating, disordered eating, Mm -hmm. not eating disorders. And I I will attest to and say, um, from a psychological perspective, we all have a a relationship with food. It just depends what it is. And everything's on a continuum from, you know, everyone's got something with food. Um, It may not be disordered, but we certainly have a relationship to it. And it behooves everyone to look at their relationship to food in terms of, Parts of learning awareness about yourself and what is your relationship to food? Where does it get in your way? Where doesn't it get in your way? Are you getting pleasure from it? And and how do you feel in your body? Um, I have one more question uh, about intuitive eating. Mm-hmm. I, I know that you're someone who very strongly believes in that. There's a lot of controversy out there mm-hmm. on this topic. I also know you're someone who believes that you can have intuitive eating and also want to lose some weight. If you feel mm-hmm. that you want to lose some weight and that's, and that's what makes you unique in the mm-hmm. intuitive eating genre. So yes. I would love you to say a little bit about that if you can.
1: Yeah. I think one of my core values as a clinician in the nutrition space is I am not somebody that is dogmatic. I have never been, and I never want to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what I mean by that is there are, trends that will come and go and come and go and come and go. And today intermittent fasting is the most important thing to save your life. And tomorrow the ketogenic diet is, and then, you know, on Friday, you should be vegan. I just cannot sort of stand dogmatically in any one theory, because when I'm sitting in front of hundreds and hundreds of different people, every person is incredibly unique. And I want to see the person in front of me. Mm-hmm. So that's a core value that's really important to me as a mm-hmm. clinician and as a, just as a, as a person too. So when it comes to intuitive eating, that is challenging because the space has become very dogmatic, incredibly dogmatic and rigid, mm-hmm. in, which is so ironic because intuitive eating was about flexibility. <laughs> right. And yet there's this intense rigidity and And it's an an energy that it's an energy I feel in that space. And I think that there are concepts within intuitive eating that are so healing, so incredibly healing. The idea that we can bring about food neutrality, right? That there isn't this really rigid list of good and bad foods. We can have foods that don't fit into that sort of nutrition list, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can go out and enjoy a bowl of pasta and have an incredibly healthy, nourishing, beautiful life. Mm -hmm. Uh, Intuitive eating has healed so many people. So many of the concepts have been truly a a, a lifeline, a, Mm -hmm. a life, a lifeline. But I think when it becomes rigid and dogmatic is around this idea that In order to intuitively eat, sometimes we throw all sensibilities around nutrition out the window. window. Mm -hmm. And that gets really challenging because what happens when somebody comes to me that is diagnosed with a condition and we have to shift some food things, right? How do we apply those principles of intuitive eating? Mm -hmm. What happens when there's an individual who really truly for health purposes there might need to be a shift in some capacity um, in, in body size. What does that look like? You know, how do we support that while still holding true to the principles? And I think it's possible. It's yes. just not, it's not part of the book. Yes. Right? It's not yes. part of like the book that's out there, but we can borrow from these principles. We can have a sensibility around food that is flexible and free and nourishing and beautiful. And still enter into nutritional rehabilitation in some cases, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To feel our best and to and to be our at our healthiest.
0: Yeah. Now I get it. You know, and just to sum up, you know, in essence, you like the principles, but you'd like also people to follow wellness within the principles, yeah. and to take into account the nuances of their own personal journey, and that becomes the hard part. Yes,
1: you hit the nail on the head. Nuance is the word. I. Yeah probably say it 8 billion times a week. Mm -hmm. It is, it's, it's challenging because people don't like nuance, (laughs) right? We want, we want definitive feels more comfortable, but the truth is, is that Wellness and nutrition is incredibly nuanced. Yes, it's so incredibly nuanced. So, yeah. yes, absolutely, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Well, Abra, this has been great. I, I'd like to talk to you all day, but people will <laughs> stop
0: listening after like twenty-five yeah. or thirty minutes. Yeah. So, That's our attention span. Um, I I want to say that um, what makes Abra so unique. I mean, there are lots of things, but even if you follow her on Instagram, she really walks her walk she, you know, she doesn't preach things that she doesn't live, you know, and, and talking about sort of wellness at any size and, um, eating for joy. You're going to see all of that reflected. I know you recently went on a trip and you did a post on you used to not want to wear shorts and mm-hmm. you showed yourself wearing shorts and, you know, it, it's really, um, such an authentic Instagram, you know, and, and I, i'm talking about instagram because people are obsessed with it but it's really authentic you know and, and if she's filtered on instagram she says she's filtered and then a lot of times she's unfiltered she really lets you see her in her surroundings and what she does day to day and what she does day to day is she grows her own food at this point um and well trying she's, she's trying <laughs> and she's cooking with unbelievably great ingredients tasty meals all the time she's exercising all the time And she shares when she's struggling because all of us struggle every day, you know, as a shrink, I'm always saying like "Shrinks struggle too. I just have clarity while I'm struggling. So, you know, nutritionists struggle too. And sometimes you have bad days eating too. And, um, and she shows it all. So I would really, you know, urge everyone to go take a look, whoever doesn't know her already. Um, I want to thank you so much for your candidness and for being a guest. And everyone out there, go get closer to your core until next time.